Hi there, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers, those who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who've just had a really interesting life. Each week, I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how their mentors, motivations and mistakes have led them to achieve the things they have. I've heard from two very dear friends this week, one of whom now lives in America and whom I haven't seen for a while, to say that they've just discovered the podcast. It is such a treat to hear from people, so if you're a recent new listener, welcome. It's great to have you. Feel free to follow me online at smashingtheceiling.com and on social media. And if you do have time to leave us an iTunes review, it really does help other people to discover the show and to grow the community listening to this podcast. Thanks, guys. This week's guest, Catherine Nikolai, has a voice that soothes the soul. And since her podcast, Nothing Much Happens, launched in April 2018, she has gently encouraged more than 2 million people to snuggle into their duvet and fall asleep. When we were little, if you were lucky, I bet someone used to read to you to see you off to sleep. But remarkably, at some point we forget the pleasure that used to bring us, meaning that bedtime stories for adults are just not a thing, or they weren't until now. Even if you're reading a book before bed, if there's a strong storyline and a lot of action, you can switch off the light and lie there with your brain buzzing about what might happen next. Our busy lives, reliance on technology and increasing anxiety levels worldwide mean that of course it makes complete sense for someone to tell you a story to help you doze off in peace. It's just that no one has done it before. There is clearly a need, though, as Catherine's podcast has become an international sensation, and I've got no doubt that there will be much more to come from her on that front. But before nothing much happens, Catherine was, and still is, a yoga instructor and owns her own studio in Michigan. I love yoga, and the physical and mental benefits of a yoga practice are something I would bend your ear off about, given half a chance. So today's episode covers two areas, really. Firstly, how Catherine found solace in yoga at a difficult time in her life and how she started her own business at a relatively young age. And secondly, how the simple, perfect idea of bedtime stories for adults took shape in the form of nothing much happens and how trusting your gut can lead you down paths that you never expected. As ever, we began at the beginning with Catherine telling me about her childhood and what she wanted to be when she grew up. I did always want to be a writer from the time I was a really little girl, um, but I, I didn't really start writing until maybe a year ago, and I'm in my late 30s, so, um, but um, I was involved in a lot of theater and dance and music, so I was always surrounded by artists, and um, when I went to college, I was technically a Spanish major, but I spent every single day in the theater department. And so I, I really think I at some point thought that I would be in some kind of arts. But um, I think also at the same time that I was kind of coming up through high school and going into college, um, I was surrounded by so many talented artists, but I had a little bit of artist envy and just kind of felt like, I don't think I have the thing that they all have. Like, I love art, but I don't, I can't figure out what mine is. I think I was art adjacent, but not necessarily art connected. So, um, so 
I, I think that's probably why I chose to go into languages. I, I used to live in Italy as a teenager, and so I speak Italian. And, oh, lovely. Um, yeah, and so I learned to speak Spanish. But uh, I actually just paid off my degree last week. Oh, and my gosh. I've never worked a single day in the field. But um, <laughs> it's hard to pick your career when you're 18. Where, so what did you do when you left college? With your, You had your Spanish degree, and how did you kind of translate that into the world of work? Well, I started teaching yoga before I had graduated college, just sort of casually at a couple different studios. And I think probably two years into my degree, so having two years left, I knew that I was going to be a yoga teacher. Um, I knew that that was felt like our, who I was and I found myself in that space. So, But um, I also was determined to finish my degree that had sort of been um, – drilled into me as a child, you know, that the importance of getting a degree. And I, I def, definitely still honor that as a woman. I don't regret a minute of the education I've received. Um, but I knew right away that I wanted to be a yoga teacher. So I trained while I was in college and I was teaching um, full time by the time I graduated. And that really involved me going to every single studio that would have me and teaching any class that they would let me teach. And I taught, um, you know, in this radius of probably like 50 miles driving back and forth every day to different studios. I would teach in school basements and any place I could get um, a class together. And that's really how I first started to hone my craft as a teacher. And then just a couple of years later, I was 25 when I opened my yoga studio. Um, wow. I opened Ethos. Yeah. And and how, you know, the time when this was all happening, you know, said you're in your late 30s now when you were at college, yoga wasn't the, I hesitate to use the, the word trend because I don't think it's a trend, but it wasn't as popular as it is now, let's say. How yes. did you, how did you find yoga or how did you come across it and um, how did you really get into it and grow to love it, I suppose? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it kind of made <laughs> me laugh because it's, it's not at all a yogic way in. I, um, <laughs> I came to yoga basically because I was so injured from over-exercising. I was, um, when I first came back to America from, I'd been a foreign exchange student in high school in Italy, and then I came back. I'd lost about 60 or 70 pounds living in Italy. And so I had this totally different lifestyle in Italy. And when I came back to Flint, Michigan, I couldn't live that life. And I had a lot of anxiety about it, and it developed into an eating disorder. So um, then I, I basically stopped eating and started exercising for hours and hours a day. And I was in such rough shape at one point that I remember like walking into the gym one day and just thinking, I can't kickbox another hour. Like my legs won't do it. Um, and I looked at the schedule, and there was a yoga class in the basement of U of M's gym. And I thought, okay, fine, I'll go to yoga. <laughs> and I sort of immediately had a physical reaction to it where my body went, oh, this, this is what I need. Please this give me this. Please do <laughs> yeah. this some more. And so then from there, I was just really lucky to seek people out and um, find good teachers and good studios. Um, and, you know, I just this morning happened to bump into one of my very first teachers. I've been practicing yoga for almost 20 years. And I saw my very first yoga teacher and a woman that I worked for this morning at our teacher's studio. So like, the nice thing about the community there is all those people who I came up with, they're very committed, they're still practicing, they're still teaching, they're still there if I need to reach for them. So I just kind of grew up in a good spot. 
Yeah. And I often um, talk to people on this podcast about mentors in their career and the importance of um, having people to support you. Did you have some good mentors when you were first starting out and people who you said you still see those people? Like, did, did you have specific people who really encouraged you in your yoga career? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, the teacher I ran into this morning, I remember being maybe 19 years old, 20 years old in her class. And um, after class one day, or maybe it was before a class, she said, Catherine, have you ever thought about being a yoga teacher? And I have to tell you, I hadn't till that moment. I went, no, why do you think I, like, I think I didn't think I could do it. And she said, well, I think you could do it. Do you want to try teaching this class? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I, I went, oh, uh, okay. And I did it. And I taught the class. And I remember that I knew all the Sanskrit and I knew the sequence. It was an Ashtanga class. I knew the sequence of postures, like the back of my hand already. Um, but I just needed somebody to kind of believe in me a little bit more than I believed in myself. And actually, when I ran into her today, I just sort of said to her, just in case I never told you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being there for me and teaching me so well as a at, when I was younger. Mm. And have you, um, over the last 20 years, have you seen a big change in the yoga industry? Because it has really just become an enormous, you know, very profitable, very big industry, both in the States and worldwide. Have you, have you noticed a lot of changes as you've been an instructor and, and running your business as well, Catherine? I mean, I see the changes out in the yoga world. I don't see the changes where I practice and where I teach. I feel like we, um, at my studio, I've kind of created this, you know, kind of sacred bubble. And mm. um, I always think of myself as the curator of the museum. And uh, a curator of a museum, it's not their job to show you every possible kind of art in the world. Their job is to create a collection that helps you feel a specific thing. So as I lead ethos, I think, you know, there are trends or there are new ideas and sometimes they're very valid and I bring them in, I change the collection, but the, the feeling, and this is why I call it ethos, the ethos of our studio is always going to be based around ethical, ethical living, committed practice and meditation. So, you know, the winds of change can blow out in the greater world, but they, they don't seem to change, um, this, the practice that I do each day. I love that analogy of you being the curator of a gallery. That's so wonderful. <laughs> and um, 25 is quite, it's quite young to start a business. Um, was that a well-planned decision? Was it a snap decision? Was it difficult? And what sort of challenges did you have with that to begin with? It was pretty well-planned. Um, you know, I, my mom is a counselor and um, I remember as I was going through teacher training and she was getting her degree in counseling, we were reading some of the same books. We were assigned similar things. And um, we were talking about it one day and she said, well, hey, if you ever want to open a yoga studio together, we could put it all under one roof. And without hesitation, I said, when do you want to do that? <laughs> and so my mom and I spent a lot of time researching, trying to find the right place for ethos, then, you know, creating the feeling inside. Um, and we just kind of went for it. Um, and I think one of the gifts of doing things when you are young is that in some ways you don't have the experience to tell you why you maybe shouldn't be doing that. And so you don't overthink it. <laughs> you just sort of go, no, I don't know. I'll give it a try. <laughs> and um, and that's what we did. And, and it came together. Um, and now we have two counselors on staff. We have, you know, a staff of about a dozen teachers, massage therapists. We've had acupuncture in the past. So, you know, I feel like sometimes 
especially as women, we can overthink these things to death. And it's important to plan and to know where you're going. But at a certain point, you have to take action. Um, and um, I, I always think that people who have good ideas start out just by having a lot of them. So you just sometimes have to have a lot of ideas and start moving on things. They won't all work out. But at a certain point, you have to move forward. Catherine is clearly a woman of foresight because having started her studio, she then became an early proponent of goat yoga, which has subsequently become hugely popular in the States. Goats are really friendly, playful animals, and the theory of socializing with animals as a form of stress relief, particularly when combined with yoga, is one that is gaining traction. Even before her podcast, the existence of goat yoga at Catherine's studio led to significant media interest. I asked her to explain what the practice is, how it works, and how she came across it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, it's irresistible. Like, you know, on lots of levels, like for local media, they really cannot resist the idea that people are going to do yoga with goats. And for students too, you know, I, and there was some, you know, there was some kind of grumbling that I would kind of hear out in the space saying, you know, like, you know, this is hardly traditional yoga practice. And, And I always remind people, you know, tradition doesn't make things right or wrong. It just makes them old. And, uh, you know, women were not always traditionally welcome in the space. So, you know, things don't always have to line up exactly with ancient dogmas. And I think it's also okay to do things just because they're fun sometimes. (laughs) So when we do um, goat yoga and let people know if they really just want to hang out and hug a goat for an hour, that's just fine. Um, You know, one big thrust of ethos is that we are, we practice nonviolence, that we're a vegan led community and that everything we do is vegan. So when we first got approached by um, some ladies who own this lovely place where they have um, rescued animals. Um, Those are my questions. Is this good for the goats? What if the goat yoga dries up? What happens to the goats? You know, and um, spending some time with them, I really quickly saw that they loved the goats dearly and took great care of them and that the goats really liked the yoga. When we go to the farm and we lead them out of their area over to the yoga barn, they lose it. They go crazy. They love it. Um, they love being petted and played with. They're they're just a whole lot of fun. So, you, you know, it's a very serious world sometimes and a very, you know, upsetting world to live in. And I think sometimes it's okay to just do something that makes you feel a little more sane, relaxed and happy. Yeah. And actually, when you watch the videos of them, the goats are so, they're so interactive and inquiring and cheeky and all those little characteristics just make them very endearing, don't they? They're so cute. (laughs) They do. And I think a lot of people might never have had that experience. And, you know, I think when you start to see the world through the eyes of animals, they're so present with the, with the world moment to moment, just like, like yoga asks us to be, um, they're just naturally friendly and, you, you know, in some ways they're sort of their own ancient or original yogis. Yeah, sure. And just um, winding back to something you just mentioned there, Catherine, about women not always being welcome in the yoga sphere. At what point did that start to change? Because obviously in the sort of ancient um, Indian tradition of yoga, it was uh, very male. Yeah, I'm not totally sure. I'm not that on the yogic history. Um, Even though, but even let me just say, like, I was coming up. Most it'd be strange that you'd look around a studio and see that the student population was 90% female, and then look on the roster of lots of studios and see that the teaching was almost always being done by, say, 75% 
were, were men. And I think that part of it is that there was like this natural tendency to defer, you know, to this, to men as teachers or as if they hold, you know, I think sometimes in, in yoga, there can be this feeling of, you know, there being some sort of secret mysticism going on in the background. And as a 20 year teacher, I can say like, that's not how that works. Uh, you know, um, teachers are good because they're trained and they've put in, they've invested in their, in their process and in their skill set. Um, and it's not magic. It is just, um, practice and training. So, um, I think that that was probably more usual even 20 years ago. Um, you know, one of the things I feel really glad about is that when I opened ethos, I deliberately opened it in a place where there wasn't yoga because I wanted to reach out to an underserved community. And then I could kind of raise them all up from babies and go, this is what yoga is. And they didn't have anything to compare it to. So, <laughs> you know, they went, oh, right. Of course, it's always about ethics and it's about, you know, um, loving yourself and focusing on the moment and learning to become a meditator and all these things. They never, you know, ha had any other information to bring into it. So I think I could insert sort of a feminist angle and um, definitely like this humanitarian and animal rights angle too. To my students, that's all just normal part of yoga. So um, that, but that's by design. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really cool that you can um, shape your own business with your own visions and your own ethics in a in an area that where people are not already biased by what they already know. I, I suppose that's quite, that's a lovely way to be able to run your business, isn't it? It is. So, so obviously with, um, with yoga and with, you know, you obviously do quite a lot of meditation as part of ethos. Um, just, you said, you know, you always love to write and the podcast clearly is based on stories that you have written. Where did the idea for nothing much happens come from? It really came from something that I've done my whole life, um, which is tell myself bedtime stories to fall asleep. It was one of, it's probably one of my earliest memories, maybe being about four years old, laying in bed at night and telling myself a story to fall asleep. And so I've used it as a technique my whole life. And um, sometimes the stories have been quite simple and sometimes a little bit more elaborate with more details, but using this idea of narrative to calm the mind and go to sleep, I knew as a user that it worked. And I kept thinking, you know, especially as I'm getting older and I'm hearing from more of my students and more of my friends that as they get older, they're struggling with insomnia or just in the world right now, you see so many students and people just in complete nervous system burnout, um, that are struggling with anxiety and not being able to sleep. And I kept thinking, I know how to fix this. <laughs> I know what to do, but I, and I was thinking, well, maybe this is like a real book. Like when you were a little kid, you had a beautiful storybook with beautiful illustrations. Why don't you have that as an adult? You deserve that. Why shouldn't you have that? Um, and then, um, ironically, I was awake in the middle of the night <laughs> um, because I was I was up with a sick dog. And as my dog was kind of pacing around and trying to settle in, I said to myself, you know, let go of it being a book. That is so far away from happening. Make it a podcast. And because I'm a yoga teacher and I'm somebody who's used to using my voice, 
um, I thought, I already know how to do this. I have the stories. I have my voice. And I ordered a microphone in the middle of the night from Amazon. Wow. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Basically, from that point to the point that we launched was like five weeks. Gosh. And I mean, your podcast has been phenomenally successful, phenomenally successful. You know, you're regularly in the iTunes top 10. And 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 how did you go from naught to 110 miles an hour with it in terms of, you know, five weeks is not a long time. Obviously, you have a business. Did you did you think about branding and marketing in advance or did you do it quite organically as you went along, Catherine? It was really all instinct. Like I knew how I wanted it to sound. I reached out to a friend who's a graphic designer and I explained how I wanted a logo to look. I have a friend who's an engineer and I said right off the bat I want it to sound professional and and then I built the website based on what I felt like the mood of it was going to be. And when I launched it, you know, I had like my own Facebook friends and from the yoga studio, but that probably only totaled up to a couple of thousand contacts. So I really can't explain like how we hit as big and fast as we did, except to say that I think I found a need that needed filling and that I created something that was quality. And you know, I have to say, like, I noticed myself, I've been asked this question a lot of times in different interviews, like, how did you care? And part of me has that tendency, which I think, again, is a woman's tendency to go, I must have gotten really lucky. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I want to say, and luck is certainly part of it. But I want to say, I think that I found a need. And I filled it with something quality. So I feel like that's really where it needs to be. It needs to be that you realize there's this thing that is empty and I need to fill that cup and then I'm going to fill it with the most quality substance I can. Catherine hits the nail on the head here. Whether you're an inventor, a storyteller or a stay-at-home mom or anything else in between, if you identify a niche that needs to be filled and you produce a quality product to fill that gap, you will be a success. It's so simple but it's so true. I put it to her that this is the foundation of any rapidly growing business really. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I think that's that's where it's at. You have to be able to recognize. And sometimes that's a tricky thing is just recognizing if something's missing, it's harder to see it. But it was just something that kept coming up where I kept. And it's definitely something I've seen in myself, too. And I think the more that we get tied into our devices and a, like a constant news cycle and, you know, the craziness of the world, it just seemed more and more apparent to me that you can't just go from looking at all your emails and all the craziness and then turning off the light and going to sleep. Like it doesn't work that way. There has to be like that you're stepping down this ladder into dreams and that, you know, if I could be there to kind of walk you down it, then all the better. Because sometimes you just need a little bit of guidance, a little help in that descent. In the spirit of openness, I should admit that I use Catherine's podcast on a regular basis to help me fall asleep. I don't have a major history of insomnia, anxiety, stress, or anything else, but I frequently have what I refer to as busy brain. I go to bed after a busy day at work and my body is exhausted, but my mind is just buzzing. I'm constantly thinking about the things I have to do tomorrow, the people I need to call or email, whether I can get to the gym or out for a run, and so many other things besides. Catherine describes the brain in this situation as like a truck with a brick on the accelerator. It will run away with you even if you're trying to steer it. The stories in the podcast give a narrative which directs the brain on a track towards a metaphorical garage at the end, help it slow down to a steadier pace, 
and therefore ease you into sleep. Catherine reads each story twice, a little slower the second time around, and it is amazing how you can feel your mind just gently easing. Lots of people talk about their morning routines, but I asked Catherine if she has an evening pre-sleep routine. Yeah, I do. I always read before bed, and I have my whole life. Um, I was trained, sort of taught as a kid that you would never not be reading. Um, so I've always read books my whole life. Um, but I'm also just, you know, very kind of gentle with myself at night. I make tea. I turn the lights down. I put on nice music. I'm going to go ahead and fess up. I do not have children. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> you know, I'm married to a wonderful woman. We have two dogs. It's a very peaceful house already. So I recognize that my my nighttime ritual probably is a lot easier than a lot of other people's. But I'm just very deliberate with it. I'm quiet. At a certain point, I put down my my phone and my devices. Sometimes I meditate. I have a journal that I write in every night that's just a line a night, which is nice because it's like, that's not too much pressure. I can write a line, you know, <laughs> and then, and then um, I read my book until my eyes start to close. And then I, you know, turn off the light. And then usually I get really comfortable. And if my brain got busy again in that time, then I go to my own internal story. Um, I could certainly listen to my own podcast. <laughs> it's like maybe layers of meta that I don't know if I could really do. But but honestly, because I've done it my whole life, I can put myself to sleep in 30 seconds. And if I wake up in the middle of the night, I go right back to sleep. That's amazing. And is there any, um, I'm interested in the, the content of the stories, because often people talk about writing what you know. Is there an autobiographical element to many or any of the stories or I love the one about the the cottage on the top of the clifftop and I was thinking I wonder if Catherine actually has a place like that or whether that just comes from her imagination you know that one was my imagination was uh, I hope yeah. that place existed Catherine <laughs> it does it does you know I live in Michigan and we have the five great lakes so we have so much water frontage in Michigan. And I was thinking of Lake Michigan over on, on the west side of our state. There's an area called Saugatuck and it's really beautiful. I don't have a cottage there. I could never afford one, but, <laughs> but I've seen those cottages tucked way up high. And that was what I was thinking of. So a lot of times it's just, um, there can be autobiographical um, parts of it or just things that as I go through the world that I just take note of and think, wow, oh, that's, that's nice. That's enjoyable. I like that. I'm, you know, I'm just like the bookshop one resonates with people a lot, but I've never worked in a bookshop or anything, but I think a lot of people have fantasized about that. That's just seems like such a lovely way to work, um, surrounded by books. So, um, the funny thing is that people will often take it like a journal entry and send me emails and go, what was the name of that store where you went <laughs> and the window just <laughs> or what's the name of this town where they have the movie theater that shows the old movies? You know, you're like, no, no, just, it was just, it was just a story. <laughs> just a story. <laughs> I am fascinated by the science of sleep and being the total science geek that I am, love to read the studies regarding sleep disorders, how they're diagnosed and the new research that is on the horizon in that field. I asked Catherine if she'd learned a lot about sleep science since starting the podcast. 
Um, I already had because I felt like that was part of, um, I'm always doing that kind of reading for just being a yoga teacher. So I was already pretty familiar with some of the brain science there around um, sleep. Um, But that stuff has always fascinated me. I think it was a school science fair project when I was in 11th grade, or not 11th grade, when I was 11 years old, (laughs) that I did one about sleep and dreams. So that stuff's always fascinated me. There is so much we do know about sleep, about the restorative physiological processes that go on whilst we are asleep, the way memories are stored and the evidence regarding the detrimental consequences of a lack of sleep is growing. But there is still so much we don't know. Why do we dream? Why are some dreams pleasant or exciting and some are our worst nightmares? What are the links between meditation and sleep and how our brain works? How, as scientists now surmise, does sleep prevent heart disease or diabetes? This is a huge area of growth in neuroscience, and the use of brain imaging to look at activity whilst we sleep has revolutionized the field. As Catherine said, we're in a golden age of science on this front. And if you're interested, I'll put some links on the show page to some relevant and very cool sleep research facilities. I'd seen on Catherine's social media that she is now working on a book, and I asked her if she could tell us anything about that. Yeah, I'm, I've been working on a couple different books. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed, <laughs> this is, you know, people will keep sending me messages. When, uh, when will you publish a book? And I'll send them a message back and say, are you a book publisher? <laughs> yeah. Because I could be ready tomorrow. <laughs> so I definitely, uh, I still need, you know, that sought after book deal, but I feel like we're creeping up on it. And I think 2019 is going to be the year. So I have a couple different ideas. Some, some things that will be you know, very specifically for the nothing much happens listener audience that I think that they're really going to plug into. Um, And then some other areas that I've always been um, interested in writing about. So I hope this is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, sure. And um, the three sort of things that I often kind of tip on in in interviews with the women I talk to about their careers is uh, mentors, mistakes and motivations. Do you have anything on either of those three that you might touch on about we've obviously mentioned mentors already a little bit yeah one more thing I would just say about mentors is that um I was thinking about this the other day Uh, growing up in Flint Michigan with I did uh, with all this theater and all these friends who were artists and um, musicians and poets um I saw so many people make something out of nothing and it just kind of taught me um you know hey if there isn't a thing here build it Oh, there's not a music festival happening behind this coffee shop. Oh, well, we'll build one. Oh, there's no theater to perform in. Well, we'll create one. You know, that was, those were the people that I was lucky enough to grow up with. And the cool thing is that I see them still in the world um, working, you know, on their own terms as artists. So I took a ton of inspiration from those people that, that they, you know, would just not, not overthink things, not let things stand in their way and just go, I'm going to create the thing that I want to see. Um, so that's what I have to say about mentors. Just I got very lucky that way. Um, mistakes, you know, a lot a lot of podcasters have sent me emails saying things like, I'm, you know, I'm scared to put my podcast out there. What if nobody listens? And I usually write back and say, if you don't make it, I can guarantee you no one will listen. <laughs> you know? like, 
I think, you know, at a certain point, you just have to take action. Um, You can't guard against mistakes. Hopefully you can just learn from them. I mean, that's certainly where I've been. And I feel like that's a gift as you get older, is that you're more able to see clearly your missteps and be less defensive about it and just be able to go, okay, yeah, yeah, I really screwed that up. Got it. Okay, here's where I'm going next. And then motivation for me um, is uh, I am crazy about serving people. That's why I became a yoga teacher. So, um, you know, every day I, I am so incredibly lucky to work in a field where I can actually help people have a better day. I've, always, I've gotten to do that as a yoga teacher my whole adult life. So to know that as a podcaster, now those numbers are exponentially larger. And that I'm, you know, people will write me emails and say, you know, I'm a victim of a survivor of sexual assault. And I used to be afraid to go to bed at night or I've had night terror since I was a kid and I've, I've never been able to sleep well as an adult or I'm going through chemo treatments and I listen when I get my chemo, it keeps me calm. I mean, that's every bit of motivation than a person could ever want. I always feel like even if those, just those three people right there listened, I would still make it for them. So, um, to me, the motivation is always service. Um, I feel like that's the big secret in the world. If more people knew how good it felt to be of service to other people, they'd, they may change their lives. Mm. And that's must be so rewarding to receive emails from people like that. You know, knowing that you've made a tangible difference in people's lives must be an incredible feeling really. And a huge motivation to keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely. It is. I think the only time it sometimes gets to me is when I think as I'm writing, that first season, I thought, nobody's hearing this. <laughs> and now I start, the third season started in a week and a half, and I go, oh boy, I got a few people looking over my shoulder, you know? But, you know, I just kind of remind myself, like, I invented this thing. I know what I'm doing here. Yeah, absolutely. Just do it again. If it, you, yeah. I can imagine the sense, there's, a, there's a, a mild sense of pressure that comes with having two million people listening to your podcast that you suddenly start to think, oh gosh, I'd better write something good. <laughs> the good news is that they're asleep. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll be really like uh, looking at a word or a phrase and thinking, is that what I'm trying to say? And then, you know, my my anti-ego that's built in from yoga will kick in and go, listen, sister, everyone's asleep by now. <laughs> just, just type, put a period at the end of that sentence. Let's move on. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's really cool. And um, I always just throw the floor open at the end to anyone I chat to just to say like, is there anything else you wanted to say that you think is pertinent or anything else at all? I guess I just think um, it's so lovely to see so many women lifting up other women and I'll, and just sort of women waking up to um, that realization that that's, that's part of our, our job as women is to help lift each other up. Um, that sometimes we've been taught um, to push each other down and that we have to unlearn that stuff. And so um, every time I meet a woman who's gladly helping other women, women, um, I think, oh, yeah, there's hope for the world. <laughs> We're going to be okay. So, you know, I think that's just the biggest thing is that, uh, you know, my yoga teach- teaching has always kind of taught me, you know, to be present and not judgmental. And when as a w- woman, if you find yourself in that place, judging another woman for, you know, the choices she makes in her life, sure, you know, to remind yourself like, this is not why I'm here. This isn't the point of this. The point of earth is to make friends, help people out. That is such an awesome sentiment to end on. And thank you so much to Catherine for joining me on the podcast today. Just listening to her makes me feel relaxed. So I hope you've enjoyed our chat.
Next week, we are on a different trajectory as we are joined by comedian Shireen Kassam. She has got a lot to say on the subject of women in comedy, so do tune in then. As ever, if you've got any comments, suggestions, or feedback, then do drop me a line. I love to hear from you. Please subscribe if you haven't already, and feel free to leave us a nice review on your favorite podcast site as it helps others to find us. But more importantly, spread the word, as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising, so do tell your friends. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling and on Instagram at Smashing The Ceiling, and we will hopefully see you next week.